And we're going to get a, go to the book of Exodus. If I can get in here. Exodus 26. I was uh, thinking about a couple of verses in Exodus. You know, I was thinking of just about the, um, the building project. And, and I'm, I'm just uh, very much amazed at just how people have been giving their time and energy and just willing to sacrifice. And uh, it's just great to see that. I mean, that when an opportunity presents itself, how you kind of step in. And it just reminded me of some of the passages in the book of Exodus where God used people. And uh, I thought, you know, but here I am talking about the tabernacle. And so I didn't know how I'd jump into this because we hadn't finished the tabernacle. Then I was looking at uh, my next study, looking at the structure of the tabernacle. And I think the Lord knew exactly what I wanted to do uh, because this really fits very well. Uh, Exodus 26, verse 15, this is what it says. And thou shalt make boards for the tabernacle of Shittim wood standing up. Ten cubits shall be the length of the board, and a cubit and a half shall be the breadth of one board. Two tenons shall there be in one board, set in order one against another. Thus shalt thou make for all the boards of the tabernacle. And thou shalt make the boards for the tabernacle, twenty boards on the south side southward. And thou shalt make forty sockets of silver under the twenty boards, two sockets under one board for his two tenons, and two sockets under another board for his two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle on the north side, there shall be 20 boards, and there are 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under one board and two sockets under another board. And for the sides of the tabernacle westward, thou shalt make six boards. Are you excited yet? <laughs> and two boards shalt thou make for the corners of the tabernacle on the two sides, and they shall be coupled together. Amen? So that's a pretty good one. <laughs> And they shall be coupled together above the head of it unto one ring. Thus shalt thou be for them both. They shall be for the two corners. And they shall be eight boards and their sockets of silver, 16 sockets, two sockets under one board and two sockets under another board. And thou shalt make bars of shadow wood, five for the boards of the one side of the tabernacle and five bars for the boards of the other side of the tabernacle and five bars for the boards of the side of the tabernacle from the two sides westward. And the middle bar... In the midst of the board shalt reach from end to end, and thou shalt overlay the boards with gold, and make their rings of gold for places for the bars, and thou shalt overlay the bars with gold. You guys get that? So what does this mean? <laughs> well, basically it's talking that a tabernacle is made of boards. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Very specifically. Now I'm not going to get into all the details of the cubits and all those different kind of things, but I want you to understand about this passage when we talk about the tabernacle, uh, so much of it is reflecting on Christ, his humanity, his deity. We know there's aspects of him that is uh, just completely deity, the lamp, the lamp stand inside uh, out of beaten gold, beaten into shape. Uh, we know that the Ark of the Covenant and the altar of incense, the show, table of showbread were all made of wood covered with gold and wood speaking of humanity. And so now we're looking at these boards that actually make the structure of the tabernacle. It's interesting that when you become saved, you become a part of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why when you look at the tabernacle furniture, whether it be the table of showbread, that's actually referring to uh, an aspect of the believer. 
and how that we have to count upon the bread of life, the, the word of God to feed us. Uh, we look at the altar of incense, which is a picture of our pleasing life before the Lord, as is Christ. And, and we can please the Lord now, too, because we're in the Lord Jesus Christ. And also how that he said that uh, I am the light of the world, but then later on as he went to heaven, he says, now ye are the light of the world. And so we have a very big part of this. These boards represent the structure of the temple, the structure of the tabernacle, what makes up this house of God. And that's something we need to understand here. The first thing I want you to see is believers make up Christ's holy temple. Now we know the tabernacle is, is picturing the, the uh, I, I guess, the sojourning of the believer on earth and the sojourning of Christ in his first coming. Uh, and Jesus Christ did come. He didn't have no place to lay his head and he didn't have a permanent home. And so the tabernacle pictures that. Later on, they built the temple, which was supposed to be a permanent structure. And we'd say, oh yeah, Solomon's temple, that's what it was all about. Not really because of their sin and their idol worship, it got destroyed. And then they were told to go build it again, which was one that was definitely less glorious than the first. And of course, Herod built upon that many, many uh, centuries later uh, to build what you had when Jesus Christ came on the scene. And that's the one that he said was going to be torn down and one stone would not be left upon another. That was picturing how Jesus Christ was supposed to come permanently, but because of the unbelief of the people, the temple had to be destroyed again. You know, and then there's another temple coming. We know that uh, at the beginning of the tribulation time, there's going to be a deal made with the Antichrist, and Israel is going to build that temple during that, seven, that first three and a half years. And we know the devil, as he uh, uh, possesses the Antichrist, is going to put it on his heart to go inside of that tabernacle and, and set himself up as the God of Israel and the God of the world. And he wanted to be God. And so that's not picturing Christ. And so we know that what Christ is going to do is coming far later as far as the temple is concerned. But right now he still does have a temple. And that temple is you and I. You know? Uh, and I want to show this to you today. And so in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, it says this. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. So whenever you see the ye in the King James Bible, it's talking about the plural form. So when he's talking, he's not just talking about a singular person. So even though you are a temple where the Holy Spirit of God is inside of you, he's actually referring to the corporate body of the church. He's saying ye are. Ye are the temple. You are the building. So God is making a building here, but it's not necessarily drywall and wood and framing and so forth he's building a temple that is made out of people and souls amen first corinthians three sixteen, it says know ye not that ye are the temple of god and that the spirit of god dwelleth in you if any man defile the temple of god him shall god destroy for the temple of god is holy which temple ye are so there again, he's referring to the plural. He's talking to the, the collective church. He's talking to you as a body here. So I know we can say, Lord, I am your temple. My body is the place where the Holy Spirit abides. 
But he goes beyond that. He looks at actually the collection of the church and how each one of us make up that temple that he's building here on earth. And that's an interesting thing because he says, you don't want to defile that. So you wonder today why preachers are so sticky about keeping the church pure and clean and, and wanting to do right within the church. Well, we've got commands from God himself that we cannot defile what God is building here. Amen? 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? In 2 Corinthians 6, 16, it says, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So what we need to understand is, that as believers, we, we're, you know, sometimes I think we, we operate on this lone ranger principle that, you know, we'll just do what we want to do. But, folks, I think that God has a plan for us collectively <laughs> as a local assembly. And when you look at the boards of the tabernacle and how that each one was identical, side by side, making up the walls of that structure. <laughs> and God says to you, ye are the building. Ye are the building. Now, that's not the way the world looks at the church today. Uh, I don't know what kind of building that would look like if you would picture that in a drawing, <laughs> you know. But I guarantee you, it wouldn't be very equal. It wouldn't be very parallel. It wouldn't be uh, straight and standing up erect like this one was. My next point is all believers are one in Christ. And so... The boards were uniformly fit together to make one building. So this is where we've got to really work at this because we, we have a tendency of looking at ourselves and, and really caring about ourselves more than the others and caring about what's going on in our life. And, and if it costs me something, well, then I'm sorry, I'm out. <laughs> but understand this, that God designed these boards to fit together to make this building that he wanted to use for his honor and glory. And we've got to look at each other and understand that we need that board next to us. And we need every board to be in its place. John 14, 20 says, And that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. That's a pretty interesting picture. How that even though, you know, there's a Father, there's Jesus, there's you, but we're all in one another and we are all the same as far as being one. I like uh, letter eight says, God's people are fitly framed together. Fitly framed together. In Ephesians 2 verse 19 it says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And that chief cornerstone was always that stone that was set at the corner that would that would determine the how the walls would be set up that would be the one that would determine how straight that wall was going to be he would set the the example that the other walls would follow the other pieces would follow so that's why he was the chief cornerstone and it goes on to say in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. 
And so it's talking about a growing temple. So we're not just sitting here and saying, oh, we're going to make our little temple and this is it. Our construction is complete. It's not. The Lord is going to continue to add to this temple. Not like the tabernacle. That was, that's as many boards as you got. That's it. But now we have a temple where the Lord says, I'm going to continue to build it. <laughs> after the chief cornerstone, after Christ himself. And so each one of us are a part of that, that growing process. Fitly framed is simply means joined together. Where else are you joined together as believers? Where on this planet, where on this world, are you fitly framed together? Are you joined together? Only in your local church. There's no other place. You cannot be joined together other places. In, in your certain groups and clubs and, you know, soccer and baseball. And even though those, those may be fun, folks, you need to understand something that we are in an important temple to the Lord that he is continuing to build, and he has actually fitly framed us together, joined us together. And that's why many times, you know, I, I, I want to bring people in the church, but you know what I want? I want the boards that the Lord wants in the church. <laughs> I want him to build his church. I want him to use me to do it, but, you know, I, I don't want to be the one to determine what this church looks like. I want the Lord to be that one. And that's why you have to be careful. We were talking even today with Brother Don, some, uh, a couple that they led to the Lord, and, and just, you know, how the, the changes happen. <laughs> you know, even over days, sometimes, all of a sudden, boy, they're different today, and boy, they're getting better, and this has changed. I saw them a week ago, and they sure look different, <laughs> you know. Their spirit changes. And so we need to understand something. The Lord may bring somebody in here, and you may look at them and say, I don't know if that board will fit. <laughs> but the Lord knows which board fits. And so we've got to be careful as we treat people and as we deal with people. And I know uh, whenever you stick your neck out like that, sometimes it ends up you get chopped in the neck, <laughs> you know. But, you know, it's going to be worth it because I think that's what God has determined for us. He wants us to suffer a little bit in relation to that. And so fitly framed together, let it be, God's people are unified by divine power. Now we're reading about all these bars, you know, this bar and going through this bar and so forth. So there were several bars that would run through the boards uh, uh, horizontally and that would keep the boards together in the same line. And from the top to the bottom, they had little rings on them and they would put these bars through and that would keep those walls solid. You see, we, can, we just can't build this temple by ourselves. That bar was made of wood, but then it was covered with gold. That's picturing how that we as believers are held together by the power of God. This is, this is greater than you and I. You know, sometimes I think as preachers, we're, we, we kind of worry about things. We worry about losing people. We worry, you know, and, and maybe rightly so, you know. But I'm thinking, I think God's got to be more involved than that. He has got to be in the lives of people where he sees that board, he puts it into place, and he's the one ultimately that's a, that has to hold that board in place. You know, I, I'd run myself ragged as a preacher trying to hold every board in place. Wouldn't you, Brother Don? I mean, you teach I mean, how many 30, 40 young people? And what if it was all up to you 
to hold their lives together. <laughs> it's impossible. You know, I, I don't even think I can do that for my family, my kids. You know, the Lord has got to be involved. And so those bars represent how the Lord is going to hold us together by his divine power. And, you know, sometimes there is a board that comes in that shouldn't fit the temple. And the Lord doesn't want it in. But let's let the Lord deal with that. Amen. We should give every opportunity for the Lord to put those boards in place and create this structure, this temple that God is trying to build for himself. And so 1 Corinthians six seventeen says, He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. John 14, I already read that. John 17, 20, this is what he prayed for. And, and he was talking about praying for the disciples that, that he had been with. But now he goes on and thinks about the future in his Lord's prayer. He says, neither pray I for these alone, talking about the present ones that he had with him, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they may all be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. So the Lord is praying here. And so a part of that bar that's holding this together with his humanity and his deity is actually the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that made a prayer for us and he made it very clear. I'm not just praying for these here today. He says, I'm not just praying for my disciples that are alive today, but for those that are going to be saved through their ministry, through the word of God to come. And so you know what he's doing in this, this verse? He's praying for you directly. And he's praying that you would become one with him. Why? So that the world may believe that the Father sent him. That's pretty amazing. So how is it that we're going to be witnesses for the Lord? Lone rangers doing our own thing? No, a part of God's plan. Part of God's purpose in the local church and being a part with one another, being one with Christ, one with the Father, one with one another. Amen. That's the way to convince the world. But they're looking at us sometimes and, and the trouble that we have within our own congregations. How many times have you talked to somebody trying to tell them that this is the Bible or this is the, the verse? Oh, you Christians don't even know what Bible you believe because there's so many Bibles, you know. That division itself has caused the world to say, I don't believe it. Division within the church will always cause the world to doubt that God sent his son. Think about that. <laughs> Something that Jesus prayed for. You know, let's take that seriously. Let's take that seriously. The Lord has a plan for us. Number three, all believers have the same opportunity to serve the Lord. We are the same in Christ. And I was thinking about this as I was, I'll, I'll go through this first point first. Uh, letter A, God is not a respecter of persons. Now he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles here. Every board had two tenants underneath it, set in sockets of silver, talking about redemption. Two tenants is talking about the two divisions of the Jew and the Gentile. And the Lord bringing that all together into one temple. That's what the Lord wants. The Bible says in, John, in Romans 10, 12, for there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. 
of course, Peter had the greatest testimony in Acts 10.34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons when he saw that the Holy Spirit of God came upon Cornelius when he got saved and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3.5 says, Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and are partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. And so we know now that there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. So right now you may look at the Jew and you say, well, they're different because they believe something else. But you know, if they are going to be a part of God's plan in this dispensation, you know what they're going to do? They're going to get saved and join your church. There is no... Jewish economy in this dispensation. If they get saved, God wants them to join this church. Otherwise, you're still creating division. That's why I always tell people, like even with the nationalities, and we got so many, we got, we got many in our church. You know, we got Nigerians and Chinese and Filipino and, you know, uh, German and you name it. And folks, we don't need strictly German churches or Filipino churches or Nigerian churches we just need churches where all of them can come together. Amen? And I understand sometimes language does have that effect where if everybody knows the same language and they don't <laughs> know English, okay, I can see you guys want to get together, you want to read the word, you want to sing together. But folks, that, that's really not what's going on today. What's happening more than not is people just congregating because of nationality, ethnic uh, the culture, instead of just really what the church is. And, and that's what the Apostle Paul rebuked Peter for. When Peter went and hung out with the, with the Jewish people when they came around, he says, Peter, you're not doing right. He was embarrassed to be seen with the Gentiles. <laughs> Amen. And that's why I want this church to be different. And I hope that uh, whether you're Caucasian or whether you're, you're black or uh, oriental or whatever the the fact is in this congregation that you will feel the same the same it should never enter into your mind that you are different than the person sitting next to you whether you think you're better or worse <laughs> because those boards were exactly the same amen and that's what god does he brings us together to be the same and so I just think we do ourselves a, an injustice, and I think we actually work against Scripture when we start developing churches according to culture and ethnicity and nationality within a context of, let's say, Calgary or a place like this. I understand if you're in Nigeria, it's going to be a Nigerian church. But you know what? Even then, if I would go to Nigeria as a, as a Mennonite <laughs> and I'd get saved, I should be able to walk right into that church, and I may be the only white guy there, but I am the same. I am the same. Amen? And I hope you feel that in your heart. I hope you know that scripturally, that you are the same. Amen? And I never want anybody to feel that they're better than the next guy or that you have less of an opportunity to serve God than the next guy. I think that's the whole truth of it all. We all have the same opportunity. God is not a respecter of persons. The second thing I want you to see is God is an enabler of persons. And this is a, a verse that I've been just, uh, just mulling on for a while, especially since the building project. 
in verse number one of chapter 31, it says this, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in cutting of stones to set them in carving of timber to work in all manner of workmanship. And behold, I have given with him Aholiab, the son of that guy <laughs> of the tribe of Dan. And in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted, I have put wisdom that they may make all that I have commanded thee. The tabernacle of the congregation and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is thereupon and all the furniture of the tabernacle and the table and his furniture and the pure candlestick with all his furniture and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all his furniture and the laver and his foot and the clothes of service and the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons to minister in the priest's office and the anointing oil and the sweet incense for the holy place according to all that I have commanded thee shall they do. So the first thing, God set a pattern. This is what we need to do. And we got to do it exactly like this. Then he says, Moses, I have given the ability for people within your congregation to do exactly what I've said you need to do. That's powerful. (laughs) So you're sitting there, I got no gifts. I can't be used. Sorry, you're wrong. Those boards were the same. Each one. God is the one that enables you. And sometimes I marvel. I wish I had some of the enabling that some of you have. <laughs> you know, how you could think through things. You know, it's a couple of verses here. I'll get to that. Um, I'll read you 2 Corinthians chapter 10 first. It says in verse 12, For we dare not make ourselves of the number... Or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. But we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. Amen. So he's saying there's guys out there, they are thinking that they are greater than they are by measuring themselves by their own standard. But he says, that's not wise. What we're doing is we're simply doing whatever God asks us to do according to the measure that he gave us to do it with. It's that simple. So I was thinking, you know, I've had people come to me about the building project and they say, pastor, I'd love to be able to help but I don't know how to do any of that, <laughs> you know? And you know what? It's true. Not everybody in the church is going to know even how to saw a board without cutting it wrong at both ends. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you understand that? And that's not a slight on your Christianity or on your enabling of God because the fact of the matter is God has enabled some to do that and some to not do that, to do other things. The time will come where you'll see your road you'll see your path and so i felt bad well how's the way i can get everybody involved in the building program folks if we want straight walls we can't get everybody involved (laughs) god 
And I was thinking about this because I, I really did want everybody to be a part of building. And then I thought, yeah, but you give them a tape measure and they don't know how to use it right or they don't know how to read it right or they don't know how to cut it right. The building won't be built right. And it's, I thought about that. That's not a slight on the person that can't read the tape or, or cut the board. <laughs> That's just a statement like he said to Moses. He says, I have put in that person the spirit of wisdom. Wisdom is practical application of knowledge. Have you ever met somebody that you know if you'd bring them something and say, this is broken, he'd know how to fix it? And yet you have no idea. You'd say, I don't know even how to start this. I'd throw it in the garbage. He'd say, oh, no, this is what you do. <laughs> there are certain people that when it comes to building, I can say, can you, uh, you know, we got this problem. And I know they're going to say, oh, I can do that. Because God has given them the spirit of wisdom. Amen? Don't feel bad if you don't have that same spirit of wisdom. Don't compare yourselves among yourselves because there is a measure that God has given you in some area of God's work. But we're not all going to be carpenters. We're not all, all, we're not all going to know how to fix things. You know, you know uh, we're not all going to know how to mud a wall and make it smooth. I remember I had a guy help me do my basement one time. He did not have the spirit of wisdom. His, his, I'd never done it before. He says, oh, the key is just to put as much mud on as you can. And I thought, oh, my goodness. So I followed that advice, and you know what happened? Oh, my. We sanded and sanded, and that house was full of dust uh, for weeks and weeks and weeks because we had to get all of that mud off of that drywall. And I was saying, this doesn't make sense. Why did we put it on just to sand it off, <laughs> you know? on the first coat, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so that's why I say, folks, uh, I would love everybody to come throw some mud on the wall. But there are some people that have the spirit of wisdom in relation to what to do in relation to that. And that's no slight on you or anybody else. You know, as they didn't ask me to do anything, <laughs> you know. But then, you know, then again, there are some things you can find in the middle of all of that. I remember we'd have people coming in, then ladies would also show up and they'd get themselves a mop and they'd be mopping the floor and dusting and so forth. And I didn't ask them to do that. They just did it. They just did it. You know? That was the measure that the Lord had given them for that day. <laughs> I'm sure there's more, a lot more to them than mopping, you know? But that's what I mean. Like, and, and that was just as important to me as the guy that was sanding the wall, making all the dust. You understand? <laughs> like Paul. <laughs> so, number one, believers are gifted by the Lord for God's work. In Exodus 35, 31, it says, And he hath filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom. He hath filled him. In Exodus 35, 35, it says, Them hath he filled with wisdom of heart, that's a very unique thing, wisdom of heart. You know, I, I don't know. I, some, I, I look at some people, I say, this must be a genius. No, God has just filled them with the wisdom of heart. They look at something, they can picture it, they can fix it. They can make it, they can build it, amen? For me, it's not like that. You know, for me, uh, some of my gifting is, 
I know how to dissect things in scripture. I know how to pull things out when maybe other people can't or maybe other people can't, you know. But anyways, that's just the measure God's given me. You know, when it came down to doing work, I, I got to the painting part. And I, like, I can do this. So I started doing some painting, you know. And I probably wasn't as good as I should have been, <laughs> you know. But everything, the Lord has a place for everybody. And so I, I, I feel bad sometimes because I've had people, Pastor, I'll do something. And then I, then I go there, and it's not even like I've said anything to anybody. It's almost like everybody knew what God wanted them to do. They walked in there and, says, and they just started doing it. I'm just saying, praise the Lord. <laughs> you know, He's given you wisdom of heart. Praise God. That's not just for the tabernacle. That's for today. That's in the local church. You know, we have needs in the music department. Some of you, the Lord has given you that wisdom of heart. Give him glory for it. Amen? Some of you are teachers. Give him glory for it. <laughs> you know, some of you are great with people. They walk in the door, you strike up a conversation, you make them feel at home. Is that any less important than playing the piano or anything? No. Everybody is given a measure by God. Everybody is gifted. Amen? So never say, I don't have a gift. You do. You do. You just got to humble yourself before him so that gift can just emerge out of your life because it's there. I know it is. Amen? Wisdom of heart means the ability to do practical things by the wisdom of God. And it talks about cunning, of the cunning workman. I like that word cunning, you know. Cunning means to think or devise, to reckon, to regard, to invent, or to consider. Some people can consider a long time on something. If it isn't what God wants them to do, they get nothing, a big zero at the end. Another person, they think on something, and all of a sudden it just plays out in their mind. They say, oh, I know how this is supposed to go. How many of you are good at puzzles? <laughs> Not me. I look at that thing, I, I quit. <laughs> you know? Because you, you can visualize. You have to visualize. You've got to be able to see it. You've got to think, and that's cunning. Amen? Uh, the word fold, filled means to be full, to be complete, to finish, to satisfy. And that's what God does. He fills you. He makes you complete to do the things of God. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about in verse number 4. It says, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of, of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all. How many men is this manifestation of the spirit given to? Everyone. And that's including women, by the way. Everyone is given the manifestation of the spirit to profit with all. That means that gifting that God's given you is given to you to bring profit to the work of God. Amen? Every one of you. <laughs> oh, well, I can't build a building, and then we go and suck our thumb. No. <laughs> Some people build a building. Others will do something else. That's the wonderful thing about the house of God. Amen? There's no difference. The boards are the same. Side by side, a bar running through them, the divine power of God. And we just let God set us up and let him use us for his honor and glory. Romans 12, 14, or 12, 4. 
It says, for, for as we have many members of one body and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophesy, let them prophesy according to the proportion of faith. And he goes through all the different gifts. Everybody's got a different gift, but you all have something. Amen. Number two, every believer has the resources for God's work. So some people say, well, I don't have, I don't have what it takes to do it. I don't have resources. Well, this is the thing. The resources were never yours to accumulate in the first place. If you look at Israel, notice this. In Exodus 3.21, when the Lord talked to Moses, he said, I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall come to pass that when ye go, ye shall not go empty. So before it ever happened, the Lord said, this is what's going to happen to the people of God. Before they leave the world, they're not going to go empty. They're slaves. What do they own? Nothing. How are you going to build a tabernacle in the wilderness out of gold and silver and precious stones and all these different things if you don't have anything? God says, don't worry about it. I will give you the resources. I'll give the favor. Amen? Then we see that played out in Exodus 12, verse 35. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, and they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they lent unto them such things as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. They spoiled them. That means they totally took everything that's valuable out of the Egyptians, and the Lord gave it to them. So you're, you're enabled and gifted to do the things of God, but you also have the resources you need to do what God's called you to do. Somebody says, I can't serve God because I can't afford this. No, 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 no. If God could bring favor in the eyes of the Egyptians, and if he could provide them on the way out everything they needed, don't you think he could do that for you? In fact, he will. He will. Exodus 25, verse 1 and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, ye shall take my offering. And this is the offering which ye shall take of them, gold and silver and brass. And he goes through the whole line of things, what? That Egypt gave them as they were leaving Egypt. But he says, I want you to give it willingly. So it's not so much that we don't have the resources. Sometimes it's more of the fact that we're not willing. We're not willing to give God what he has given us to give back to him and his work. Amen? Because we just don't trust. Well, I've got to hold on to this. <laughs> yeah, you know what happened? They held on to it, and all of a sudden there was a golden calf. You know where that gold came from, the golden calf? It came from the things that the Lord gave them to use in the worship of God. That's where the golden calf came from. See, folks, when we hoard the things of God to ourselves and we don't use it for God's glory, we make little idols with it. That's what Israel did. <laughs> Amen. And then it became useless. And that's why Moses said, well, let's burn it up and let's grind it up and let's throw it into the river. 
You think, hey, let's use it again. Let's put it back into service of the Lord. He says, no, it's useless. Now it's defiled. We lose it. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> so not only do you have the, <laughs> the ability to do what God asks you to do, but you do have the resources. And I'm not saying you have a lot of resources. I'm not saying that you're rich and you can just do whatever you want or the time or the energy or whatever it is the resource is. But all I know is whatever the Lord has for you to do, he has given you the resources to do it. Whether it's little or big. Amen? Because that doesn't matter to him. It really doesn't matter whether it's big or little. It just, it just matters whether we're willing to use what God has given us for his honor and for his glory. Amen? And then the third point I have is God is an expector of persons. He's not a respecter, but he's an expector. Number one, I just want you to see this. The boards were standing up. And he made a point of that. He says, those boards shall be standing up. <laughs> and that's the way you have to stand. You have to stand up. He expects you to. That means to rise up, to take one stand. And if you look throughout the scriptures, I'm going to give you these real quickly because I want to be done here. But letter A, you stand in the gospel. The Bible talks about where also you have received and wherein ye stand. Do you stand in the gospel? Do you know you're saved? Do you know your purpose? Do you know what the gospel is? Do you know how to share the gospel? <laughs> Amen. The Bible tells us to stand in the gospel. It talks about uh, standing fast according to truth. 2 Thessalonians 2.15, it says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught. So whatever you've been taught from the word of God, and traditions is just that which was passed down. Of course, the, the Thessalonian church and the, the epistle written to them was one of the earlier ones, so the scriptures hadn't even been formed yet in the New Testament. So he's saying the traditions, that's been passed down from the apostles. You hold on to that, and you stand fast in that. Amen? And then letter B, or C, stand in grace. Talks about and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. So what's the grace of God? That enabler to make you whatever it is that God wants you to do or be. You're supposed to stand in that grace. Uh, standing in the will of God, Colossians 4.12. Talks about Epaphras, how that he was laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So stand up. Uh, stand against the devil. In, in Ephesians 6.11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Amen. Don't let him take you down. Stand against those tricks. Stand against those temptations. Don't give in. When you sense that they're coming there or something has tweaked your attention, immediately you just take your stand. You say, no, sir. I'm not letting you win this battle today. Amen. I'm putting on the whole armor of God. And then the next point is stand in liberty. Stand in liberty. Galatians 5.1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. <laughs> you know, there's, there's great things in the Bible, great principles you can learn. In the book of Exodus, we, we've gone through that. The laws that God's given are things that we can learn from, and we can glean some uh, principles that will help us make good decisions in our life. But you've got to be careful, because there are people out there that are trying to make you think 
that if you eat the wrong thing, you're sinning. I'm sorry, that, my friend, is wicked. Well, the Old Testament says, <laughs> well, all I know is the Bible says that I could eat all things, all creatures are given, if it be received with thanksgiving and prayer, for it's sanctified by the word and prayer, amen? So when they're telling you that you can't eat a certain, whether it's pork or this, that, or the other, they are actually attacking the principle of the New Testament, sanctified by the word that means god hath called that clean now don't you go back and then bondage yourself in that again amen and yet this stuff is going around there's religions that are built upon it there's people that come in our church and they start talking like that the bible says let no man judge you <laughs> according to sabbaths and new moons and all these things somebody comes to you and starts giving you a hard time about the sabbath the saturday you're supposed to keep it you know what the bible says to do don't let them do it. Let not. It doesn't mean just walk away. It means hold on there, son. <laughs> the Bible says, I don't have to keep that Sabbath. And I'll tell you why. Because Jesus Christ is my Sabbath. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He has fulfilled the Sabbath. Oh, and by the way, the Sunday is not the Christian Sabbath. It has nothing to do with Sabbath. <laughs> Sabbath was on a Saturday. It was a sign given to Israel uh, that they should cease from all labor because they needed to learn that they could not work or do anything to earn salvation. We learned that when we received Christ as our Savior. So why are we chasing shadows when we have the substance right in front of us or in us? Amen. So the Bible says, let no man. Don't do it. Don't remain silent. You just say, hold on there, buddy. <laughs> I don't want to hear you say that ever again. Because that is sinful. Because the Bible says this, let no man judge you therefore. And any Sabbath. And by the way, if they want to keep the Sabbath, then why aren't they keeping the high Sabbaths of the Passover, the Feast of the Tabernacles, and all these other, those are all Sabbaths. And they weren't on a Saturday. Some of them were in the middle of the week on the Thursday. So, Folks, if you're not going to keep all the Sabbaths, then you've got to pay the price for not meeting all the Sabbaths. Amen? But you can't just say, I'm going to keep half the Sabbaths and think that somehow if you're going to go according to the law, according to the bondage of the law, that somehow you're going to go to heaven believing that you're going to keep the Sabbath? That's why the Bible tells us that. <laughs> that one man went out and gathered up a stick on the Sabbath day and was killed. That means if you want to keep the Sabbath, you better get really studying here because there's a lot of Sabbaths that are mentioned in the Old Testament. And if you want to get to heaven by the law, you better keep every single one. And of course, you know that's not possible. Because you're already a murderer, an adulterer, you're already a liar, you're already covetous. You've broken all the laws. Amen. Oh, but keep the Sabbath. <laughs> My goodness. Stand in liberty. Christ made us free, man. He, he released us. All those ordinances were nailed to the cross of Calvary. Boy, did he set us free so we can go forward and serve him. We don't got to worry about all those dietary things and all that. And praise God, because I like a little, you know, bacon. Amen? I mean, I don't go crazy on bacon. But man, I can get some good bacon. I'll eat that bacon. And you would too. Amen? And number two and finally... The boards were set in order. 
It says that there in verse 17. Two tenants shall there be in one board, set in order, one against another. So basically, I got some scripture there that's just really telling us to let all things be done decently and in order. You know, the priests, they laid the wood on the altar in order. When the priest killed the animal, they took the pieces of the animal, laid them upon that wood that was in order, and they put the pieces of the animal in order. <laughs> Everything is in order. Amen. Let's keep our lives in order. Let's keep our church in order. Let's bow our heads. I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a decision if the Lord leads you, spoken to you in any way. Folks, please don't get on yourself that maybe you don't feel you're worthy or that you're valuable to God. You're gifted. You are all gifted. And God will prove that to you one day. He's going to open up that door and your gift will shine if you keep your heart right. You can do it. You will do it if you stay right with God. Don't compare yourself to another person. Just praise God that God has gifted other people in certain ways too. Amen. Stand fast.